0: i'm excited this morning come on up mark this is mark johnson let's see how much turnover there there has been in eleven years so he spoke probably our first year of existence who was here to for that like three of us So you have a brand new that's audience today right.
1: so i can use the same jokes as what that's you right <laughs> well We're brian bad, does right. it every week anyway yeah, so that's right
0: so, hey, how
1: how awesome was that, though? It was those, amazing. Those, those three baptisms today. I mean, I mean, yeah. <laughs> Heaven is elated right now. There's a celebration, and I got to be honest with you, I'm crying back there. Since my granddaughters are born, I I cried everything now, and so I'm. <laughs> I got tissues in my pocket in just case it starts out again. But uh, God bless you guys. That's awesome. That is fantastic.
0: Well, I need to let Mark know that I have a granddaughter too okay. that, that I talk about every week. So they, right. they they know that, and that I've been to Israel. So, um, Mark, I know we've you're the radio voice for CU football and basketball, but yep. you have a title at KOA, right, as well?
1: Well, I'm not with KOA anymore. Oh, So that's all? Uh, six years ago, I left KOA. Last time I talked to you guys, I was still the sports director at KOA. Moved from New York in 2004 to come and be part of KOA as a sports director, and be the voice of the Buffs. Six years ago, I left KOA and I worked full-time for the university. So I'm the director of broadcasting for CU, which is a way of just saying the guy that does all the talking right and so but his voice of the buffs yeah i do football and basketball play by play and then all the radio and television and voiceovers and everything else for ceo
0: well we listen to the buffs in our household all the time and when you left me a voicemail i was had to look around think the radio was on or something but um i got a question for you do you have any eligibility left for college sports
1: uh, you have actually two years. i played two years of college basketball, then a back injury into that, so...
0: Well, I was going to say, the Buffs could use you at tight end. I forgot how <laughs> big you are, like, well, edge yeah, rusher. I always tell
1: people, I was a college basketball player, and as like I got older, I grew into a football player. <laughs> so, like, like a lot of us do, right? I mean, you get bigger and...
0: Yeah. Um, what's your most memorable, you know, in, in, moment in broadcasting that you look back and think, this was just incredible?
1: Well, I had the opportunity you know, it's kind of funny how, how the Lord works in things. Uh, my wife and I grew up in North Dakota, right? So it was a small state looking for an opportunity. And when I was coming out of high school, I, I, th- I thought really about doing three things. I was, I thought a little bit about being a coach and a high school teacher, but really it was being a sportscaster, a pastor. And my old joke has always been the Lord knew that nobody needed the Lord more than the media did. So that's where he sent me, right? Yeah. And by the way, it's darker than you think it is in the media. All right, let me make that very clear. Well, when I got the K.O.A. in 2004, Steve Kelly and I made a beeline for each other. Steve Kelly, you guys remember him for a long time. Steve's a very strong believer, a legitimate believer, and, and I think we were about the only two believers in the building, and we kind of clung to each other. But as as things worked, I in in 2000 and uh, let's see what in 2002, I got a job. There is no earthly explanation why I got it. I was at Illinois State University and Syracuse University was looking for play-by-play voice. Now, if you guys know anything about sportscasting, in the world, any game you watch, there is about an 80% chance they've got a Syracuse grad doing it, okay? Bob Costas, uh, Mike Tirico, Dave Pash, uh, go on down the line, everybody um, is, is a Syracuse grad, and so they were looking for somebody to do their games, I, I said to my wife, "They got an opening. I'm not going to send anything." She goes, "Oh, just send. What's it going to cost you? A CD and a resume." So I sent it, and by the grace of God, got that job. Six months later, Carmelo Anthony walked on campus the same time I did. I'm calling a national championship, which got my name and voice all over, you know, ESPN and CBS, and kind of had an opportunity to go a lot of different places in the country. But so I got to call the national championship. That was Syracuse in Kansas. Any Kansas fans in here? Probably, probably are. I get booed every time I go hunt in Kansas. Um, but I, I, called that. And so anytime you, you know, there's been big moments for CU, obviously winning a PAC 12 championship in basketball and some of the great upsets we've seen. Although I've, I've called about the darkest period in Colorado football history, uh, but prime's here. Don't worry. Um, but anytime you get a chance to call the last game of the year in your sport, and then I happen to be on the winning side, you know, that, that's, that's kind of magical when you get a chance to do that.
0: Um, you kind of addressed it a little bit, but last thing I wanted to ask you was Like, how do you see your your faith influencing those around you in the media, or what's that really like on a day in and day out basis for you?
1: Well, number one, the media is a dark place, as I said. Number two, I don't know if you know this or not, but being a believer in Christ is not necessarily a popular position to be in in Boulder. All right, you can laugh at that. (laughs) Go ahead, it's true. And and so. You know, I, there was a great man, though, that walked that path ahead of me named Bill McCartney. Okay. And and I'll give you a quick story. So, uh, two, three, four years ago, there was a, a complaint filed against me with the university. And they called me and we had some meetings and I won't go into the details of it. But what it was is basically um, what I say in the air, my faith is a huge issue. And so even today on social media, the fact that this was promoted as voice of the boss, Mark Johnson, there are those in Boulder to get very upset about that, that... I shouldn't be allowed to use that title when I speak at a church or preach at a church. And, you know, praise God that there's been some good people there that that kind of backed me up. And the administration has said that, you know, essentially, listen, that is his job title. We're not sponsoring it. So when he does go out and speak on behalf of the gospel, that's a personal thing. That's one of the most difficult things is that... My openness with my faith causes problems. During that meeting, as we were wrapping up, I said to my superior at that time, I said, and I'm sorry about this, I'd imagine you'd probably get a complaint every once in a while. He said, We get more complaints about you than anybody in the, in the institution. For that reason, because i very, if you follow me on social media, you'll notice if you follow me on social media, you're going to get a lot of the gospel, a little bit of buffs, and I'll bore you to death with my granddaughters. Okay, <laughs> that, that's the three things that you're going to get from me. But because of that, and then working for a public institution, there's some conflict there that happens every once in a while. Okay. Yeah.
0: Well, guys, Mark Johnson's got a message for us, us um, fathers, grandpas, father figures, and then uh, we're going to do a little blessing at the end for, for all you dads. So I'll turn it awesome. over to you. Thank you. All right, you.
1: Scott, thank you. <clears throat> well, it's, uh, it's a treat to be here today. And I do, despite the fact that it's not a popular opinion, I bring you greetings from Boulder, Colorado. Even though I don't live there, I live up in Evergreen, so I'm a little ways away. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart always be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. I say that before every single broadcast because I figure there is an opportunity, even though it is a game broadcast, and for me, the broadcast is always the purpose of why I'm there. It's never about me. It's always about the buffs. It's about the game. It's about the ball, the score, the time, all those different things. That I try to have as my mindset before I go any broadcast, because I think there's an opportunity, somehow, some way, I'm just going to be open. I always say you've got to be fat, faithful, available, and teachable. Now, as we've gotten older, many <laughs> like me are a lot fat in a different way, right? But faithful, available, and teachable. I always believe there's an opportunity within that broadcast for me to express something or be used by the Holy Spirit in order to touch someone. I had a pastor years ago that sent me a letter and he said, um, I appreciate that you are a believer and I believe you're a believer because I hear it when I listen. So somehow the Lord uses that. I don't know how it is all the time. But uh, I think it's a great opportunity when Scott dropped me a line and said that You'd like to have me come and speak today on Father's Day? I was kind of tickled about that. And by the way, you know, they always say in, in show business, never follow uh, children or animals. I followed children and baptisms today. That's got to be markedly worse, don't you think? That's, that's not easy right there. And by the way, your daughter's got a great opportunity ahead of her as a comedian, I think. Yeah, she obviously got that comedic timing from her mother, right? Not that, Brian. But uh, honored to be here to talk about fatherhood today. And we talk about fatherhood, that also includes being a husband, because by God's ordained order, the way in which we are supposed to become fathers is to become husbands. Now, full disclosure, and uh, Scott kind of alluded to it, I, I always enjoy coming speaking to a room full of wretches saved by grace, like all of you, right? Because that's what I am. Um, full disclosure here, my oldest son was at my wedding, okay? And so God's ordained order is that we become husbands and then we become fathers and we work on that through our entire lives. Um, I took a misstep there and uh, led my wife down, down a wrong path. And so my son was at our wedding and we're still together 32, well, almost 32 years later. You're going to notice that generally when, when somebody gets up and speaks uh, during Mother's Day, it's kind of a genteel message. I think a lot of times. And we rightfully celebrate the gift of wives and mothers and their impact on the world around us. And my message today, however, fellas, is going to have just a little bit different tone. All right? I'm going to challenge you guys today. One of my favorite Bible verses, and it, it spoke to me years ago being a man, because contrary to what the world says, there's a little bit of difference between men and women. I don't know if you noticed that or not. Job 38. And, and it actually happens twice, Job 38, 3, and Job 47. There, there's a period there, and you all know what Job's about, and the challenges, and then the lamenting of, of uh, Job's friends and, and his wife, and ultimately Job. And finally, there's the portion late in the book of Job where God speaks. And, and he says it twice to Job. In the NIV, this is when I always quote, it says, Brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you will answer me. Gentlemen, try that on your wife sometime during an argument. See how that works for you. <laughs> Men are different. The, the uh, NAS, rather, says, tighten the belt on your waist like a man. The ERV says, prepare yourself for an attack like a man. The King James, and this is the one that I, I've always loved, gird up now thy loins like a man. That's very heart like don't you think? Gird up now thy loins like a man. So I think you get the idea. I'm going to challenge you guys a little bit here today. And by the way, ladies, when, when I'm going through and talking to your men uh, about being a husband and being a father, um, I once heard Paul Washer give, give a great sermon. He was talking about a similar topic. And he said, ladies, don't be elbowing your husband and, and saying, hey, why can't you be more like that? All right. Because as Paul said that day, and I'll say it, my wife is sitting right back there, and I'll say it the same way. Because both Paul's wife, when he said that, had that uh, sermon, and my wife are going to be going, why can't he be more like that? All right? So what I'm talking to men about is the goal which we're shooting for here today. What we're trying to be. I like to say there are no great men of God. Only small, weak men who serve a great God. So wives, when you see your husband trying to be a God-centered man, and they're not going to be perfect, by the way. They're going to make mistakes. I do all the time. Encourage them. When they fall short, encourage them even more. You know, right now around our house, we've got, uh, I've got a puppy we're, we're training. And I tell people all the time about the training process. I, I've always loved, I fell in love years ago with the, uh, the, the training process of horses and, and, and puppies and how it works. And one thing you'll see around our place right now with this puppy, puppy makes mistakes and, and we point them out to the puppy. But when they have success... We we celebrate like we win the World Series, right? See you guys don't even know what that's like here. Uh, we celebrate like when, when we win We celebrate like when we win the NBA championship. Okay. All right. And so yeah, I guess I'm saying your husband's like a puppy. When he does something good, celebrate it. All right? But I saw a great meme the other day. Brian and I were talking about beforehand. Fantastic. Buddy might send it to me. It it had had this stick figure and on the stick figure it had the Broncos logo and the Avs logo and the Nuggets logo. And then on the ground was the Rockies logo and the stick man was poking and it said, come on, do something. (laughs) It's not, not nice to, not nice to pick on the the, uh, Rockies like that. I just did a game here a couple of weeks ago for the Rockies and the Mets and my buddy might said, you're going to have fun? I said, no, they're going to lose. What are you talking about? Have fun. I'll do my best, though. <laughs> Guys, let me introduce you to my family. All right? Can we call up that, uh, the photo? That's my family right there. My wife, we married for, uh, like I said, November will be 32 years. Amen. 32 years. She, uh, we got together in 1989. The Lord sent me out to Santa Barbara, California. It was during what I like to call my long-haired, maggot-infested disc jockey days had hair down to here and wore pink zubas and oh yeah no no it was good it was good and uh I moved out there and because I was young and stupid I broke up with her and uh she asked me to come back to take part in this event that she had going on and the day before that uh the Lord ran me over with a car literally ran me over with a car And I spent about three months in a wheelchair, and I always say, that's how dumb and thick-headed I am. In order to marry the woman I was supposed to, the Lord had to run me over for the vehicle. So that got us back together right there. Uh, That is my oldest son, Nicholas. He'll be 32 years old this summer. This picture's from just a few years ago. It's tough to get everybody together these days. That's my little girl right there. She will be 30 this summer. And that is Jake right there in the middle. Jake's the superstar of our family. He's our forever child. He's sitting in the back right now. When you walk by him afterward, he's got earbuds in all the time. Every time you will see him, he's got earbuds in. Walk up and ask him what he's listening to. See if he answers me. Jake, what are you listening to? King George. George, Listen to George Strait. He's got 400 George Strait songs on that deal right there. And that's that's what he listens to all the time. And uh, I always say about Jake. Jake was born in 1997. And he is our forever child. Uh, whenever I go someplace to speak, it's always a threesome. That screws up the seating charts in every event I do right there. And everyone's thinking a pair is coming, husband and wife. No, nope, there's three of us. Got to have three. Otherwise I can't come. And uh, Jake is, uh, my wife and I always say, uh, the most difficult thing in our life and the greatest blessing in our life, the blessing you would never ask for is sitting back there in that wheelchair right now. Jake gets up with every day and loves. He doesn't have the same garbage you and I do. So that's my crew right there. Let's put up the next, uh, we got a second generation that's grandbabies right there. On the right, she calls those dragon tails, not pigtails. That's what she calls them. That's Yulilu right there. Yulu Lou is uh, going to be three in August. And that's Jane and Jean on the left right there. And uh, they make me cry. My, uh, when my, my daughter uh, announced that she was pregnant, it was on Christmas Eve and she hands, we get down with gifts, and she hands us a box. My wife was sitting at night on the couch, we open it up, and there's a little tiny pair of cowboy boots in there. And I started crying. And uh, every other time she'd send me anything. One day I'm in Los Angeles doing, doing some college basketball games, and uh, sitting in my room doing some game prep at the desk in the room, and she texts me a little video. It was from an ultrasound. And so I'm sitting there crying, of course. And about 10 minutes later, the phone rings. So I picked the phone up. at her. She goes, Daddy, are you crying? And I said, no, I'm not crying. She says, you're a liar. And I said, yeah, I know I'm lying to you. Yeah, of course I am. She says, what happened to you? She said, my entire life, you were such a hard case. You never cried. I never saw you cry. You were tough. You were mean. You were on and on and on. And what happened? And I said, well, my job as a father was to guide you and protect you and love you and lead you and all the different things we do as fathers. Now that they're going to be your babies, my job is just to love them, right? and help you along the way. So, yeah, that's the grandbabies right there. They are they are something. All right. Let's get into being a father and a husband, shall we? You know, in, in every aspect of our lives, gentlemen, without exception, where we have to start, and in particular in these roles of being a father and a husband, is with Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That has to be the start. It has to start... At the gospel of Jesus Christ. That has to be the center. We just saw uh, the wonderful woman who came up and, and was proclaiming, talking about her whole life and thought it was the universe and, and now knows it as Jesus and the Holy Spirit and I don't know. That has to be the starting point. You can be a solid father without it. You can do a nice enough job without question. But you're not going to be a complete God ordained father or husband without Jesus at the center. My favorite Bible verse. I remind myself of this all the time. 1 Corinthians 2.2. 2. Paul writes to the Corinthians, I resolve to know nothing but Jesus Christ while I'm with you. That was his commitment. I resolve to know nothing while I'm with you but Jesus Christ and him crucified. The essence, the actual building block of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and then what did our Lord say in, in Matthew 33? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Think about those two verses right there. Those two I resonate and I think about and I meditate on all the time. I need to focus on Christ and him crucified and seeking the kingdom of God. And in that chapter in Matthew 6, by the way, what God's talking about, he's talking about anxiety, right? We get caught up in the world and on and on and on. And he basically is saying to us, focus on this And just before he's talking about, you know dress and and, and food and that kind of thing He says focus here and Everything is going to be added to you When you're focused on Christ when you're focused on the gospel that's going to lead you where you need to be That's why I say it has to be the foundation on whatever you're doing in this case being a father and a husband that has to be where you start because if you're not starting there, you're missing the mark entirely, and you cannot fully become what Christ has created you to be in terms of being a father and and, and a husband. I believe there are four roles on being a father and a husband. My wife loves alliteration, so I've gone with four Ps. Guys ready? First one's prophet. Okay? You have to lead your family scripturally. You know, it says in Ephesians 5 that that we as husbands are to wash our wives in the water of the word. What do we just see here? Right? We need to wash our wives in the water of the word. You have to scripturally lead your family, which means you have to be in the word of God. You have to be there. You can't possibly know what your role is. You can you can understand a secular worldview of what a father and a husband are to be, but unless you were in the Word, you do not understand what God created you to be as a husband and father. You have to be there. That is undeniable. Secondly, you have to be a priest. And that is leading your family from a prayer standpoint. Now, now, guys, this, this is so difficult. And, and I'll tell you what, I'll be real, real frank with you. I struggle greatly with prayer. I, I think it's, it's one of the more difficult things. And, and there have been many wonderful men of God that I've read about that struggle greatly about be, having a strong prayer life. I don't know about you guys, but, you know, I'll shut that door and get down to my knees. And I'm like, a, I'm like one of those, that puppy I'm talking about, right? I get in there and I'm going to focus and I'm going to pray. Lord, I am here. Oh, I got to move along, Right? You guys get that? And then I'm wandering off and I'm thinking about this. I'm, oh, Mark, come on, get back here. It's not easy. It is not easy. Prayer life is hard. It is enormous amount of work. I'll tell you what, though. It's something you have to do. And what I mean by that, I, I'm, I'm talking, if, if you struggle with it, it, it can be as simple as you have to be the man when you sit down with your family to eat, and by the way, get them all together and sit down and eat. Lead them in prayer. There's your starting point. The next one, if your children are young, lead them in prayer before they go to bed. And do so earnestly. And, and, and you can start out with, you know, there's, we, we've got a A couple of prayers we do with Jake. Jake's communication is very rote, so we we do that frequently. But it's a starting point in the prayer with your wife. Well, one one thing that I I struggle with greatly, as I've worked on this over the period uh, period of time, is when I'm at somebody's house. Just last week, we were at a relative's home, and we're there for supper. And it came down to right before we ate, and the wife says to the husband, "You need to bless the food." And, and I understood. Now, now there, there are different ways this can happen, but he immediately turns to, I, I want Mark to do it. Now, I understand. I, I'm in broadcasting and, and I speak and I preach a lot, and I understand. And, and so there may be situations, you know, if I was to have dinner at Scott's, that he may say, Hey, as a guest, would you please do this? That wasn't the case here. It was this uncomfortable feeling. He goes, No, I want somebody else to do it. And, and I remember thinking to myself, his name is Jason. I remember thinking, Jason, do it. Lead your family in prayer. It's important, gentlemen. Be in the Word. Be the prophet. Be the priest. Lead in prayer. As difficult as that may be. It gets easier over the course of time. The the next two are are pretty simple. Provider, obvious. Protector, obvious. We get those, right? That's pretty simple stuff. But prophet, priest, provider, protector. Now, Now, there are many men who have boiled the job down to the last two ride and protect. I, I think that's pretty much the secular sense of this. That, that's kind of what generally everybody thinks. You know what? I'm putting a hot meal on the, on the table and I've got a, a, a roof over the head. And that's fine. Those two alone, though, are kind of cold, lifeless, and meaningless. And, and what value does a hot meal on the table and a roof over your family's head if they know not Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior? And they're doomed for eternity. Those two are supremely important. Supremely important. If you greatly put effort into the first two, the second two are going to follow. All right. If you were a man of God, you were going to be a man of provision to the best of your ability. If you were a man of God, you were going to protect your family to the best of your ability. Gentlemen, our job is to set the tone. I saw this statistic not long ago. I don't know when it came out. I just saw it recently here. Leadership Journal. Put out a deal, statistic. If the father is the first to come to Christ, if a couple gets married and the husband's a believer and the wife's not, they have children, or if they get married and the husband comes to Christ at some point, 93% of the family will follow. 93%. That's an enormous number. If the wife is the first one to come to Christ, husband's not a believer, wife comes to Christ, they have children, 17% follow. That's startling, isn't it? That is startling. 93% compared to 17%. If a child becomes the first in a family to believe, 3.5%. Not surprising there. 93%, gentlemen that's God ordained. That's order. That's what God has laid out in his word about what we're called to. Enormous responsibility in leading our family scripturally. So what does it mean to be a godly father and husband? Well, where should we go for those answers? Word of God. Okay. For everything, every question you've got, go to the word of God. I don't care what the question is, go to the word of God look for the Holy Spirit's guiding in everything you do in your life, especially this. So we start right from the beginning. Every great story starts at the beginning, right? Genesis two twenty four. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. The best thing you can do for your children is to love your wife. It's what we're called to do. Leave his father and his mother, hold fast to his wife. Ephesians 5, 25. Husbands, love your wife's wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Now, this brings us to an interesting deal. I, I frequently will uh, get a call from a guy and I'll say, hey, I'm struggling a little bit. Can we get together to have coffee? Can we talk about a few things? And we get together. And this begins, who, who here remembers, you've got to be older now, who, who remembers Abbott and Costello? You guys remember Abbott and Costello? Right? Great comedy team? Okay, if you remember them, you're old, number one. And uh, number two, if you're young, you've missed great comedy here. All right? I call these conversations my Abbott and Costello conversations. Because what happens is we get together, I sit down with a guy, and he starts telling me the sad sub story. And I say, All right, love your wife. Yeah, but uh, you don't understand no, no, love your wife. No, no, no. Yeah, but you don't understand, Mark. I mean, it's crazy and this is happening and I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I know that. Yes, I understand. Love your wife. Yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. And that's the way the conversation goes. And and then invariably I'll say it. I'll say the same thing to you. Guess what? Your wife's going to drive you crazy and you're going to drive her crazy. You understand that? Love your wife. But Mark, you don't get it. No, I do get it. Love your wife. But Mark, we we're more like friends now. Okay, great. Bible says love your neighbor. But but Mark, yeah, but you don't get it. I mean, we're we're like at war. Great. Bible says love your enemy. Love your wife. Love your wife. That's the way this works. Let me explain something to you. If your spouse, going back to my puppy analogy, is like a potty trained puppy that smells good all the time, never makes a mistake, you don't know how to love. That's easy to love. We don't live in a Hallmark movie, gang. We live in a real world. Guess what? I get up in the morning, my breast stinks. I probably stink when I come in from work. I'm moody. I do bad things. I, I snip at my spouse and on, on, a on, on. Guess what that teaches us when you are married to a person that's imperfect? It teaches you unconditional love. If we had somebody we got up every single day and everything was absolutely perfect, and there was butterflies and there were birds chirping every time we saw each other. I know that sounds good in romantic comedy. That's not real life, and you're not learning anything about loving somebody unconditionally. Guess what? You're a wretch and God still loves you. That's what we're supposed to figure out here on earth. We're supposed to figure that out. Love your wife. And when she drives you crazy, I get it. Love her some more. And when he drives you crazy, I get it. Love him some more. Love unconditionally. Okay? There's step one. Best thing you can do for your children as a father, love your wife. Ephesians 6, 4. Next step. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Okay, there's a couple of things here. There's a difference between provoke and discipline. Okay, we, we, we're kind of living, I, I'm not sure, and this is going to sound like get off my lawn guy, all right? I'm going to sound like old guy here. Back in my day, all right? I'm not sure we're doing a good job societally from a discipline standpoint with our children. I'm not sure we're, we're really teaching them what they need to know. Provoking is one thing, right? When you're nitpicky, when you're on them nonstop, that's provoking. And God's word says don't provoke your children. You have to discipline them. The Bible says that the Lord disciplines us, those that he loves, okay? And if your children are, especially teenagers, they're going to get angry when you discipline them, right? Okay, that's fine. I'll give you a prime example from our life. You saw my son Nicholas up there. Nick was a great athlete, and he was, I think it was his junior year, and, and Nick had always been a great student, Nick was always a great student, he was always a straight A guy his entire life, and his junior year, as young men will tend to do, he began to, shall we say, not put great effort into his, his studies. So we got a call one time from one of his teachers, said, hey, listen, your, your son's kind of flirting on the bottom end of a D here, so I called Nick in, I said, here's the deal, Um, you got a football game coming up on Saturday. This is not okay, right? You're the one that set the bar, not me. You're the one that's been a straight A student your entire career. So that tells me this is not an intellectual issue. This would be an effort issue, all right? Anybody who's been an athlete understands that. And so I said, listen, I talked to your teacher. You've got a test coming up on whatever it was, Tuesday, Wednesday, whatever. You've got an opportunity to bolster the grade here. You do well on that. We're going to be fine. Otherwise, if you don't, I'm going to suspend you from your football team. Now the test rolled around, teacher calls me, says, nope, didn't do it. So I called Nicholas in, I said, you were suspended on Saturday. He was a two-way player, ended up being an all-state guy, very good football player. Then I called his coach, and I told his coach. Now, my son was angry with me, number one. I was being terribly unfair. This, by the way, got me the, uh, the reputation and the title around Evergreen as being the meanest stand in Evergreen, Okay. At one point, uh, the kids told us many years later in a science class, they were talking about a proton or a neutron that was kind of a jerk neutron, so they named it the Mark Johnson proton or whatever it was. <laughs> now, here, here was the, the tough part about this. The tough part about this was that despite the fact that I, as a father, was implementing my responsibility to teach my son a lesson that he needed to learn, uh, his friends, friends' parents, instructors, coaches talked about what a jerk your father is, and mm-hmm. this is terrible. But I held the line because that was my job. Okay, I didn't provoke my son, didn't get s- screaming holler at him. But I said there are consequences to how you conduct yourself. There are responsibilities. There's a great uh, horse uh, trainer, Buck Brandeman, who when he trains a horse, uh, went to a clinic years ago. And he, he says I offer the horse a good deal, but there's an expiration date on the good deal. And then when that expires, the next deal's not nearly as good as the first one, okay? And, and so that was kind of the tact we took uh, with my son at that point in time. So I didn't provoke him, but we disciplined him according to the Lord about understanding the kind of man you have to be. So that's what we're talking about here in Ephesians 6, 4. Psalm one o three thirteen. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. All right. We know as fathers, our children are going to make mistakes. That's part of the deal. Chances are, if they're males, it's going to be a lot more than the females. Okay? That's part of the deal. Any one of us could stand up here and give you a long list of missteps we made as young men. That's part of it. My, my daughter, Hallie, up there, is the one of our children we never worried about. She uh, had very few missteps. She was always a Phenomenal continues to be. She's a great mother great wife right now to our grandchildren, our, our son-in-law. But we had a little situation with her where she and some friends one night, I uh, was a junior or senior, I don't remember, decided that uh, they were going to try marijuana for the first time. And did so in a public parking garage up on the top floor. And it just so happened security came rolling around and found them and police became involved and We got the phone call and I'm, my wife and I both never been into that world, so we never understood it, but we get the phone call. And so under that circumstance, and one of those rare occasions that she did make a misstep, there was compassion there. We sat down, we talked with her about it. We didn't get all upset and scream and holler and create all sorts of other issues. We sat down and said, okay, do you understand what's happened? Do you understand what the consequences are? And she and my wife, by the way, went to, had to attend some classes uh, about that whole deal, which must have been pretty good because my wife's never used marijuana. So they must have been really, must have been really good classes when you think about it. Uh, and then we explained to her, okay, there is a civil set of you know, repercussions, if you will, and there's going to be a family set of repercussions. And so we had to walk down that path as well. But it was the idea of showing compassion to our children. The Lord has phenomenal... Patience with us. We need to have patience uh, with our children. Ephesians four two, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. I think this one here is is enormously important, and, and I learned this uh, at later in life. All right, um, there there was a period. My, my wife and I. It's a different different. Uh, message. My wife and I both came from broken backgrounds, and and severely broken backgrounds in many respects. And so you bring two broken people together, and, and there's going to be you know some ups and downs and some struggles. And, and we did. And and the Lord kind of revealed to me at one point, uh, you know, you've been a, a total jerk, and maybe you could be better. And there was great truth in that. And so what I did at at one point with both of my children, because I was kind of a hard guy for a long, long time. There was a reason my daughter said I never see I cry, because I never did cry. So I sat down with my children at one point. They were in high school, and I apologized to them. And I just said, I'm sorry. I have not been the most loving father. I've been very strict at different times. I've not been... Uh, as open as I should be. And that's probably areas I still struggle with in some respect. But there was an acknowledgement of that. And I think it's very important. And I think it's important in those situations. I, I once heard a, a pastor talk about walking in his daughter. He would kind of snapped at her and went in and sat down later and said, Hey, I'm sorry. And, and what, what will children do, right? They'll say, No, it's okay, Dad. And he said, No, no, it's not okay. It's not okay. I was short with you. And I was kind of a jerk I apologize. Please forgive me. And, and, f- and kind of push the issue so that she didn't just wave it off as children are tend to do because they love their parents. And, and so she finally said, Daddy, I forgive you. All right. So I think that humility aspect is is a big part of it. And then lastly here, Proverbs twenty two six: Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. And, and that, that one's very hard. Because patience is going to have to uh, I think you're going to have to have great patience in that regard because we want our children immediately to respond when we maybe we wash them with the Word, when we pray with them. We want them to respond immediately. We want to know that they're, they're solidly on solid footing with the Lord, and that's very hard. But you know, when you think about it, guys, when you plant the seed and you water it and you fertilize it and you help it grow and then you prune it and on and on and on, a plant... The last thing it does is produces fruit, and so I think that's where great patience with we as parents. I mean, uh, our oldest son, we, we continue to pray over him. He's kind of meandered a little bit, and here we are, he's going to be 32 years old. And we continue to pray on him nonstop. We know it's in there, and you can see the signs of it, but it's easy to get impatient with that, and so we have to have great patience and know that when we train them up that ultimately God's going to work in their life. Gentlemen, it's a simple deal. You uh, claim to be followers of Christ, step into marriage, have committed yourself to a lifetime of serving your wife and your children. And that means you're not number one. I know we live in a world that says, uh, take care of number one. Well, guess what? You're not number one. Wife's number one. Depending on how many kids, you might be fifth or sixth or seventh. That's the deal. Guess what? You get to go to bed tired. Congratulations. Then you die. All right? But you serve the Lord. That's what you did. Okay. You know, they always, I always, I always chuckle, and I know I got to wrap up here. I always, I always chuckle that, uh, you know, you hear talk to somebody and they're going on and on about, you know, I just want to be happy, want to be happy, want to be happy. Yeah, well, let's let's kind of run down and see what the great men of God have done. Uh, virtually all of the, with the exception of John, all had gruesome deaths. All the disciples had gruesome deaths. Stephen was stoned to death. Paul was beheaded. On and on and on. But you, he wants to be happy. Okay, I got that. Good, good. Men serve. Men, sacrifice for your wives and your children. you got to get in the Word. So it's all going to start with being in the Word, without question. Real quickly, you know, um, having a grandchildren has kind of got me back into the assembly world a little bit, kind of forgot about it. You know, when I was younger and the kids were younger, we'd buy something and I'd assemble it and I'd grab the instructions and I'd throw it aside and I'd start working on it. I'd get about 40% in and think, that doesn't look right. <laughs> huh what happened there? Grab the instructions. Oh, son of a... And right, then you got to disassemble everything and put it back together. Well, last Christmas, my my daughter um, had me put together something because her husband's a fireman. He was off at the firehouse. And I was, as an older man now, I grabbed the directions and was very, okay, number one, put that in there, number two. But isn't it interesting? We've got the audacity... We can't do a simple project without the instructions, but we've got the audacity to claim that we're followers of Christ and we know who God is, but yet we're not in His book that tells us everything there is to know about Him. This book tells us everything that He wants us to know about Him, about His Son, about the Holy Spirit, about who you are, about what your inside is, about what your nature is. Everything is in this book, and yet we're not in the book to understand what it all means and how it all works, but yet we're going to claim I'm a follower of Christ. This thing here is the most valuable piece you've got in your hands. You want to be a good husband, good father? Get in the Word of God. Be there. Live there. It's a great line I heard one time. I said, read many good books, but live in the Bible. That's where you have to be. Gentlemen, as we wrap up here, Scott, I know I'm sorry I'm about two minutes late. We serve the perfect Father as imperfect men. But if we walk in the way of the Lord in humility, according to His Word and His example, we can be the men, the husbands, and fathers that He calls us to be, which will bless our wives, bless our children, and set them on solid ground to walk the path the Lord has prepared for them. Let me leave you with one scripture. 1 Thessal- Thessalonians 2, 11 through 12. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Let us pray. Gracious heavenly Father, Lord, all praise and glory to you in the name of Jesus Christ, Father. Help us as men understand our starting point is you. You have created us in your image to be men of God who follow and surrender ourselves to you, Father. Let that be our starting point. And from there on, let the Holy Spirit lead us to be better men, better husbands, better fathers, to bless our families and the world around us and bless our wives, Lord, that they can put up with us at times and understand our shortcomings, Lord. And they have great grace for us as well, Father. Bless all fathers today, Lord. We thank you for this opportunity. And we pray this in Jesus' holy and precious name.
0: Amen. 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 Thank you, Mark. Yes, sir. Appreciate it. I want to call all our, our dads, our stepdads, our grandpas, father figures. Would you make your way up here? We want to honor you and bless you this morning. So let's give them a hand. um before we do that for all our our men women can grab one as well but we printed up some business cards that are on the table over where the novation open invites are as well and it's it's called 365 men and it's stor real short stories videos about men throughout church history that sacrificed and served and the impact that they had on the world around it i think it'll inspire you a friend of mine created this and there's a little QR code that you can download the app or or watch those videos make sure you grab one on your way out dads we appreciate you we do it's not easy being a man of God in the world that we live in Um, we got all kinds of craziness going on and yet this is our time to be salt and light in a dark world in a dark situation so every time you come home from work you got little kids instead of flipping on the tv you help mom you play with your kids you serve them you are growing in the school of christ because that's what he is our example and that's serving and sacrifice and you're doing it and i get it we don't do it perfect but that's what grace is about and he gives grace in our weakness So if you're saying today, man, I feel weak as a father or a man of God, well, his grace is sufficient in your weakness. He will give that to you. Will you extend a hand towards these men? Father, I thank you for these men, that you gave them the calling to be fathers, stepdads, father figures, and grandpas. God, I ask that you would impart faith and hope, Lord, the gift of discernment in their life as they walk with their their wives and their children and their grandchildren, that, Lord, their relationship with you would be first and foremost, and out of that relationship with you, Jesus. Jesus. Seated with you in the heavenly realms, as we're told, they would work backwards in how they serve their families. Bless them on their jobs. Bless them in their struggles. And God, bless them with just to have their eyes fixed on you, Jesus. You who are authority over all. Let them know, Father, how much you love them and that you're pleased in your sons today and you strengthen them every day. In Jesus' name, amen.